0: Welcome to episode nine of Cybernia, Ireland's weekly science podcast in association with discovery science and engineering. You can grab the latest podcast from cybernia.ie, follow us on Twitter at Cybernia or find us on Facebook.com slash Cybernia. And if you want to email us, it's podcast at cybernia.ie. I'm Marie Boren, and with me today in the studio are Maria Daly and Trina O'Connell. This week, we'll be looking at how scientists in Trinity College are creating convincing virtual Dublin, and you can hear what happened when cybernot Gavin went sunspot spotting at Astronomy Ireland's recent SunWatch event. And where do science enthusiasts go on their holidays? Maria Daly will be telling us all about the places to get geeky in America. Also, stay tuned for the latest science events, and we do a speedy elevator interview with Ian Elliott, a solar physicist at Dunsink Observatory. First up, we have an interview with Professor Carlo Sullivan, a Trinity College lecturer and researcher working on creating a virtual Dublin city called the Metropolis Project. Carl talked about the challenges of creating virtual crowds that walk, talk and interact in a realistic manner. She also explained how research in psychology and neuroscience is helping to craft the perfect computer animated hero or villain. Are there several key elements for creating a believable virtual human being and what would those elements be? Okay, well,
1: first of all, there's the the visual appearance of the object, of the of the person, so their skin, how the light reflects off their skin. So there's been a lot of research, for example, in computer graphics on subsurface scattering. So what happens, the light hits the skin, doesn't just bounce off, it also gets absor- absorbed. And simulating that realistically actually contributes a lot to creating a really believable uh, virtual human so for example there's people uh, in uh, University of Southern California a guy called Paul Debovec has a digital Emily project um, um, where he's captured a lot of how the light bounces off off the skin uh, and has been able to create incredibly realistically appearing uh, characters and then there's also the way that they move so that needs to be realistic as well. And we're still not sure that motion capture actually captures all the elements of motion that are, are necessary to create. The movement that is correct and um, so but we're getting very close um, so you see because we can tell can't we straight away if something just look looks a little bit off exactly exactly but like what our research has shown is that you get away with a lot more with the body than you do with the face but the minute right. anything's wrong with the face you know a little bit you know a little bit stiff in the face or or the eyes don't move properly so the motion is very important and yeah. um, the voice is very important as well and not just the voice but the way that the voice matches the motion. So, if the if the voice is is the wrong voice, this is one of the things that happened in Polar Express. I think is that they used um, they used uh, adult motions and child voices, uh, for example. And when you get a mismatch between between the the age or maybe even the appearance if the voice doesn't match the appearance or if the emotion doesn't match the mm-hmm. visual emotion. There's this mismatch sometimes between yeah. what the people are doing, Got what they're saying and, and and the way that they move um, and obviously it's come on a lot a lot since then. And then another very important element is interactions. And today I spoke about interactions as well, is that when somebody interacts with the environment, okay, so you you can get fantastic motion you can get fantastic appearance but if they don't interact with the virtual environment as if it was the real world so sometimes you can get people like sliding along the ground or not looking like they're not really um, having the effect on the environment that they should or interacting with somebody else if they're fighting if they don't touch them quite right or if they don't interact with each other quite right I think that's something else that can lead to uh, interactions looking and people looking like hmm hang on you know the suspension of disbelief you know Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, it's like there's something really wrong there yeah incredibly complex I don't know how you can do all of that and when you
0: think about the human face um, I suppose you have to like get it not get it perfect but get it imperfect really all the little things like you said light bouncing off certain areas of the face exactly, it just seems yeah. very very complex I mean I think
1: that's what the uncanny valley theory is all about as well it's, it's not a valley it's probably something much more complex than a valley but it's about the fact that you can, you can have very appealing simple characters like you see in, in Pixar characters like the Incredibles and the guy the old man and the child in Up for example as well um, who engage but that's because they're simple but the minute you start getting much more realistic and more human human like characters that's when you start to notice things that are wrong yeah And you're
0: talking about appealing as well, and you're saying villains and heroes. What makes an appealing virtual character? How do we extract something like like Hannibal Lecter, you mentioned, or someone else from a film and and capture that essence and make a virtual character really someone that you can love or hate
1: very easily? Absolutely. That's exactly what our new project Captivator is all about, is trying to... But luckily, there's a lot of research in, in psychology and neuroscience that explains what makes people attractive. So, for example, people are attracted to people who are like them, There's been experiments where, like, faces have been morphed into somebody's own face, you know, or or, you (laughs) know, um, and they like that face best, (laughs) yes, yeah, you know. So, there's things like that, plus, there's things like um, eye movements and gaze, um, the way that people gesture, and all of those things can tell you that somebody's trustworthy. Or, a little if, if just a tiny little change could give you a signal that I don't really trust that person, I don't really like them. Sorry. Okay.
0: <laughs> so you've mentioned yeah, Captivator, which is pretty cool, and then you've got something called Metropolis that was started in 2007 and yeah. is now finishing up already yeah, or ready to be ready to evolve into yeah, its next yeah. uh, next so can generation. Tell you something about that. It seems quite amazing. Like it's in a, a whole complex world of characters that
1: interact properly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and what's nice about Metropolis is that it's a real research challenge because you know many many people creates you know lots of challenges for for further computing plus also for the appearance and the memory you know how much memory do you need to store all these different assets yeah so it's about creating a virtual city Uh, we've been uh, setting about creating a virtual Dublin but it could be any city the the technology is applicable to any city Dublin is our showcase of course Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's creating crowds that are uh, uh, behave in a multisensory way, so that you can you can perceive the way that they walk, the way that they talk. You can hear the sound of their of their motions. Um, and what we're trying to do is understand how we can really engage people in the crowd in this way and create the social signal of a crowd um, using sound, vision. Motion and such like. So we've populated virtual Dublin with crowds of characters who are walking and talking together and uh, interacting in, in, in different ways. And you showed a video of um, people shoving people around, which looked like loads <laughs> of fun. What was what was that about? Is that a very important part of Metropolis? And I've done interactions between uh, rigid objects colliding, physics for games, kind of, kind of, kind of interactions. Now I'm interested in physical interactions between characters in in a, in a crowd scenario in a city um, and. So the pushing was the first one we started because that's easy enough to measure. Mm -hmm. um, And and, uh, what we're interested in is just how how important, how, how how we know that people aren't very good at perceiving physics um, of, of objects, but what happens if you play around with the physics of people interacting? Mm-hmm. So that was the you question yeah, notice. You actually mentioned that all of this research is going towards, um, it has therapeutic value. Absolutely. I mean, I think games, every new technology has its early adopters. So very often, the, you know, the army might, might, might sponsor one type of research. The movie industry and the games industry have obviously been the forerunners in, in sponsoring the research and the... The development in, in, in computer graphics but in, in essence computer graphics and animation and virtual environments is all about reflecting life and reflecting reality um, it's about us you know and an increasing number of older users are using computer games especially with the advent of for example the Wii Fit you see a lot of very you know, you know senior citizens using you know the kung fu uh, 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 exercise or the uh, um, they might be using Skype for example with the, with their with their grandchildren they're becoming more aware yeah, of, of exactly, technology yeah. and with an increasingly aging population there's a huge economy the known as the silver economy for, of, 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 of future consumers for these kind of products and it, it would be very foolish and short-sighted mm-hmm. to focus all the energy on on the teenagers you know yeah. whereas you have this this, this entire population. And the other thing about this population is that um, there's an increasing number of people suffering from Alzheimer's, early onset Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, um, other types of cognitive decline, um, Parkinson's, uh, falling, that that, that actually take people's independence away much too early. Whereas it's shown that there's a connection between keeping active cognitively and, and, and putting back this cognitive Cognitive decline and keeping exercising or interested in things. Even with Alzheimer's, the the apathy that that, that sets in with Alzheimer's actually contributes to the to to the the, the condition becoming worse faster. Whereas mm. if you can if you can if it come new if you can get new kind of activities that somebody can do in their home or while they're walking around with a, with a mobile device or whatever that maintains their interest in, in in and engagement. And I think virtual reality and games, casual games, universal games, games with the universal. Are really the way forward, especially as, as the current generation gets older. Like in twenty you years' expect time, to keep playing with you know, that like technology, will, exactly, yeah. you know, we'll be much more more accepting yeah. of, of these kind of technologies. Yeah. So
0: serious games mean serious, as in it's cognitively
1: serious, and it can help medically as well. Maybe I think it means uh, the the phrase serious games means games for serious applications. But I actually think you know, games with universal appeal is actually a name yeah. that that I actually, actually prefer because games for yeah. everyone, games for That's all, true. but the games that can you know, I mean, games have often been used in in the past. Uh, games are, are a way of, of dealing with with tragedy, for example. You know, or preparing for. You know, in Victorian times, there used to be dolls that you would bury in a coffin. You know, so I mean, so games have sometimes had serious reasons as well as as, as well as just for entertainment. Yeah, I suppose we'll so, just keep okay. continuing to do that, but in a more realistic way than having exactly. Victorian dolls. <laughs>
0: exactly. Gavin caught up with Benjamin Lawler of Astronomy Ireland to talk about the regular Sunwatch event. This is held every Saturday at their headquarters in Artein. Could you
2: just explain a little bit about the, the Watch.
3: Yeah, well, we started, um, we started the Sunwatch here in Astronomy Ireland just as a, as a way of giving people something to do with practical astronomy during the daytime. And especially over the summer when a lot of people sort of move away from astronomy because the sky isn't as, isn't as dark as it would be in the winter. Um, so what we do is we, we bring out some of the larger telescopes um, that are that are really on the market at the moment. Uh, we bring them out, throw them out into the car park, and uh, we just show people views of the sun. Um, you can see an incredible amount of detail on the sun using telescopes this big. Uh, we use a thing called solar filter paper to block out most of the light so it actually makes it safe to, to view the sun. Um, you can see detail like sunspots which are massive magnetic storms on the sun that are about the same size as earth so these things are totally of a scale that is is almost unimaginable um, and you can see lots of other details as well um, on there. The telescopes that we use are are in the, in the shop we sell a brand called Celestron Telescopes which are generally regarded as being one of the better better makes. Um, the way the technology is going at the moment is that you can get these telescopes that will track things in the sky, they move on their own essentially and it means that you don't really need to know anything about the night sky in order to use them um, so you don't need to align them or you don't need to do anything like that you just point them at something that you want to see and then it will find find everything else for you essentially um, so the telescope that we use most of the time is a model called the CPC 1100 it's 11 inch telescope uh, which means they can capture lots and lots of light and show you really really great detail in the night sky um, what we do is we we point it at the sun, show you lots of detail, and then we use the alignment features um to find planets in the in the sky and This is something that's really a lot of people don't really realize is that using telescopes of this size you can actually see planets in the middle of the daytime and um, so you can be standing looking at the sun one minute working on your tan, and then you can just press a button on the computer uh that's connected to the to the telescope and it'll just track around and show you jupiter details on the surface of jupiter and 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 you can see venus and things like mars and mercury in the middle of the daytime you can even see some stars in the middle of the daytime so it's a really unique mm-hmm. unique opportunity to be able to see these things
2: and in looking at the sun itself what do you hope to actually see uh, um when observing it
3: yeah well you can see lots of things with the solar filter paper that we use um you can see things like uh, sunspots, which are, as I said, massive magnetic storms on the Sun, which have to do with um, magnetic field lines. Um, they're basically cooler patches of the Sun and uh, it's very interesting because at the moment, there's uh, over the last couple of years, there hasn't been a lot of activity on the Sun, there hasn't been many of these storms. Uh, but over the next three or four years, the, the activity is going to really ramp up and we're going to see lots and lots more of these um, solar storms, so we're going to see um, a lot more lot more to see on the on the okay. sun you can also see some detail um detail between the sunspots as well a thing called crenulation and you can see it's it's essentially just looking at the the atmosphere and the the the, the surface of the sun directly it's really just a, a phenomenal thing to be able to see through a telescope especially okay. um especially just through through one of the, of this size.
2: okay perfect and yeah to recap uh, how often are these are uh,
3: the sun shows are held in the in astronomy in the astronomy on shop which is in our team It's just in Butterly Business Park. Um, They're held every Saturday throughout the summer um, and we usually hold them at about one o'clock. And if you want to get any more information, if you just check out astronomy.ie, all the information is there about the watches.
0: For our elevator scientist interview this week, we have Ian Elliott, who has worked as a solar physicist for more than 50 years and was formerly assistant professor of the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies at Dunsink Observatory. Our fellow cybernaut Sylvia Leatham asked him about his career as a scientist.
4: Ian can you describe your career in, in a nutshell?
2: Well, I've always been interested in science and mathematics and, and that sort of thing. And I did experimental physics in Trinity College. And then I got the opportunity of getting a scholarship to Dunsink Observatory. And I started doing solar physics under Professor Mervyn Ellison, who was an expert on solar flares. So I caught the bug, the astronomical bug, and went on from there. I got the opportunity of going out to the United States to a solar observatory in the Rocky Mountains run by the U.S. Air Force. And it was a wonderful experience because they had all sorts of equipment. And I spent about three years altogether in in that uh, solar observatory in New Mexico. Then I came back to Dunsink and I was on the staff of of Dunsink Observatory for most of my career. So I found it very fulfilling. I was doing uh, a job that was really my hobby and um, I got interested in the history of astronomy in Ireland and so I've uh, written quite a bit about Irish astronomers and all the achievements they, they made, despite the, the bad weather.
4: OK. And how did you get bitten by the astronomy bug, do you think?
2: Well, I think I have to go back to the age of eight, when I was afraid of the dark. And my parents got me a little book that showed the constellations and showed how I could... Uh, Identify the constellations and give them names. So this banished my fear of the dark and I think uh, lit the astronomical candle.
4: I see. Uh, what would you say your career highlight has been?
2: Well, there hasn't been any... Oh, I know what the highlight was. Um, I, When I was doing my research in, in Dunsink Obser- Observatory, I was uh, looking through... Uh, a Instrument that's known as spectrohelioscope, and the first time I looked into it, I saw what's known as a class 3 flare. The, this is the biggest sort of flare that you can see on the Sun, so I think that really sealed my interest in, in astronomy.
4: Ian Elliott, thank you very much.
2: You're welcome.
0: This week's Culture Corner is part of our science holiday special. So, Maria, you've been on several science themed holidays over the past few years. Um, specifically in America. Can
4: you tell us about those? I just put a list together of a few places that I've been that I thought were nice and then uh, one or two that maybe I'd like to see in the future. Excellent, yeah. So uh, the first was um, back in 2000. I visited the National History Museum in New York. So um, it's obviously a good while ago now, but uh, I I remember it being very big and lots of dinosaurs and um, they kind of had the animals and themes. So the buffalo had a a theme behind it and all that kind of I remember from Catcher in the Rye where he hides out in the museum and then when I went there
0: it's the first thing I thought of apart from all the creepy dead stuffed animals <laughs> yeah like, exactly it's, it's it's like a re- it's one of the most famous museums in the world
4: yeah and it was um, there's it, the same museum for a night in the museum as well oh yeah so of course yeah. You know, you'll definitely um, see you'll see everything that yeah, you'll the, see like there the dinosaurs and everything Yeah, go through all of it and have them coming alive and everything and it is it's a, it's a lot bigger actually than it seems from the I got lost in it. It's (laughs) absolutely uh,
0: immense. Apparently it's got the world's largest collection of dinosaurs and other vertebrate fossils so there you go 600 specimens. Yeah so
4: the current like if you're over in New York this summer um, some of the events um, that might interest you are during the weekend there's weekends at the Shacklin Education Lab- Laboratory so there you can handle um fossil skull casts DNA um, learn about DNA and human evolution there's also the fossil skull casts so, so not actual they won't let no, you play with fossils I doubt do was, you want
0: I, to be the one who breaks <laughs> up the last known specimen <laughs> of something I was, I actually remember I, everybody's probably done this as well like um as a kid finding like a stone with a little sort of a shell fossil in it because there's so many around Ireland yeah you find loads of them on the yeah. beaches yeah. there's so much fun. You're just like I find something unique and special. Yeah they're brilliant.
4: Um, um Yeah I really love finding them nice. Yeah. But uh, one of the other things is the brain, the inside story. So it's all about the brain and that's until the 14th of August. So it sounds interesting if you want to know more about that. So you don't have to go shopping for shoes and do the whole sex in the city thing. You can actually do
0: something quite intelligent. Not that shoe shopping isn't. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well maybe a mixture of both.
0: Yeah, <laughs> mixture of both yeah. so, um, so what other places did you go to in America?
4: Yeah, so uh, one of the other um, while I was jay winning, I went to uh, San Diego Zoo. Oh, cool! So many of my friends uh, actually worked there, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a really really big zoo. It's the uh, I've been to a good few zoos, and it's pro- it's the best one I've been to um, so far, anyway. <laughs> but it has um, four thousand rare and endangered animals. So, oh, yeah. but the best thing I thought about it was um, it's split into all the different continents, so you can visit the polar polar area and see like polar bears and that kind of thing, and then you it's can slightly go, bigger than Dublin's. <laughs> <even> <laughs> <virtually>. <laughs> you can go to Australia and see the um, kangaroos and the koalas, and there's actually pandas as well in the oh, Asia nice. section. So yeah, it no, it's really interesting and it's actually so big there's a cable car and a bus.
0: So yeah. So slightly you could bigger. basically spend an entire week just exploring all the yeah. mini continents.
4: Well I spent the whole day there and I, I probably didn't see it all. So yeah, it was really good. But definitely recommend that. Um and then the other thing I did while J1 was um visited the Smithsonian Museums in Washington. So I have kind of a vague memory of this because I spent <laughs> a day just traveling around Washington. Yeah, <laughs> so I actually don't know which museums I went to because I just kind of went in the door. But um, the one I definitely went to is the National Museum of American History. So this has all the different scientific, political, cultural. So it's kind of everything to do with America. And then but um, one that I think I missed, but I uh, definitely want, would want to see again would be area. Air and Space Museum. And the great thing about the Smithsonian Museums is they're all free because unlike everything else in uh well, uh, well I, what I've experienced in America where it's like thirty dollars or more, um everything's free in yeah. Washington. So there's also the Museum of National History history and there's also a zoo, which I didn't realise but um, yeah, You're saying so the
0: one that mixed politics and everything. Does that and history? Does that mean it has like stuff like the first telegraph, sort of, and the first like radio and different yeah it's, stuff like that?
4: Yeah, it basically has um, like uh, it's all about the history of America. So anything that was like invented, or I think it had um, like the Sesame Street characters and things. <laughs> so it goes all the way from science to like really <laughs> popular culture yeah, and stuff. Cool. So yeah, no, it's really interesting, and it has a, a massive. Flag of uh, the US flag, the biggest I've ever seen, as well. But uh, it's it's really good. Um, Sounds like table quiz gold.
5: Yeah. Between every every bit of trivia, (laughs) big
4: flags. Yeah, but I suppose the great thing about the Smithsonian museums is they're all in a big line, so it's kind of caters for. I also went to um, an Indian museum, so all about American Indians, and so it's kind of caters for all yeah, different yeah. types of uh, things you want to go see. It's a good mix because some people don't want pure science. So. Exactly. Yeah. So I um, don't take those people on holidays <laughs> with me. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I actually would love to go see is the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Now, I've never been to Florida, but it's meant to be. Uh, really good and uh, has uh, lots of NASA and uh, different things there and actually this summer they're running a exhibition called Sci-Fi Summer and it's basically mixing like say technology and innovation from NASA with the adventures from Star Trek so I think that That's would That's a really good idea to yeah. get people sort of interested And I'm sure there's actually things in Star Trek that have maybe happened since they were came out as well so they, I'm sure they have Those kind of things. Matching
0: up things that actually came to pass that turned from science fiction into facts.
4: Yeah, exactly. Also, um, just to mention, um, we were recommended by Twitter from Donna McCabe visited the Science Centre in Ann Arbor in Michigan. So this is actually, I just did a little bit of research and it's a hands-on museum so it has um, I'd say it'd be brilliant for kids because it ranges from all the different subjects and it's very hands on so again what they get to launch mini rockets (laughs) I'm not sure what they get to do but it sounds interesting
0: anyway
5: (laughs) I was in a hands on museum in um, well it it was a hands on activity centre outside Wokingham we used to go on holidays there when I was small and there was great things like you know, understanding how art, br- art bridged, the bridges made from arches are made with keystones. So you got all these huge keystones and you built a tiny little bridge you could nice. stand on afterwards that was unsupported or stuff like if you got, they had this big bucket of water with brass handles and if you wet your hands and rubbed on the handles, all these little droplets would start jumping up into the air because you had the right resonant frequency for the water. It's absolute, no, it's not for kids. It's for everybody. <laughs> I'm just thinking I, I absolutely like to do love yeah. hands-on yeah, science yeah. still.
4: That's true, actually, yeah. I didn't even think of the building bridges and everything.
5: Oh, there's... I love
4: doing stuff like that.
5: (laughs) They had a huge Soma cube. If you're into puzzles, it's a three by three puzzle. And they had one that was up to my waist at the time, I'd say. And I was like, I'm building a huge cube. (laughs) So... If you if you can find any kind of hands-on science place when you're on holidays, it's great to entertain kids. It's also great to entertain adults.
0: And are there any? You said you were at the London Science Museum as well. Is there any hands-on stuff there?
5: (laughs) they have a hands-on section in the basement that's kind of kids-only. So every time we kind of go down there, they kind of make faces at us, and there's usually lots of children around. So we kind of scuttle back upstairs again. But there's five floors of awesome essentially. So like, you know, stuff with the top floor is medicine and you work your way down to things like space and chemistry and they have a brass replica of Babbage's Difference Engine which is two odd tons and you're going oh the floor is going to collapse under this thing and Mm. they have all these wire models in the math section. It's a me. I spend it every single time I go to London no matter if it's a short trip or a long trip I spend at least half a day, if not a day, in the Science Museum and the great thing is it's on the same block as the Natural History Museum so, while you probably couldn't kill the whole of them in one day, you could stay very close to them and get them keep going. And if you know people into fashion and stuff, you can send them to the VNA and you know, not
0: talk to them for the afternoon
4: while they go to yeah, that. Yeah,
0: now I feel slightly weird because I actually did go to the V&A. And
4: <laughs> 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 oh, oh. Didn't go to the to oh, Yeah, b <laughs> But, like, we've, we've just covered a few different cities here, but, like, mm. everywhere in... America or Europe like there's going to be some sort of science centre or botanical gardens or zoo or National History Museum or something so it's definitely uh, try and fit them in on your holidays and maybe even uh, tweet us or drop us a postcard yeah, and let us yeah, know how you us get on a postcard
0: from the nerdiest geekiest scienceiest place that you've been So Trina, you've got some science events for us. Anything exciting and fun coming up?
5: There's plenty of exciting and fun coming up over the next couple of weeks. So Astronomy Ireland is holding a public lecture in Trinity College on July 11th, titled The Extraordinary Universe, Looking at Gamma Rays from Space. Mark Lang, the head of the School of Physics at NUI Galway, will give a talk on the latest discoveries of high-energy gamma rays in space. Visit astronomy.ie for details. The Science Gallery's 2011 summer show, Elements, opens in Dublin on July 14th. The show is designed to ignite visitors' interest in chemistry and the physical sciences and will draw on Dimitri Mendeleev's iconic periodic table. It will feature work by artists and scientists, an in-situ lab and a series of workshops and demonstrations. And as part of the Elements exhibition, the Science Gallery will on the 23rd of July run a couple of family-friendly chemistry workshops. Scientific Sue will demonstrate a number of fun chemistry experiments and see sciencegallery.com for more information on the interesting experiments and flashbangs she's going to be preparing for you. On July 25th, FOTA Wildlife Park in Cork is hosting a Madagascar Pochard Day. The Madagascar Pochard is a type of duck that was until recently believed to be extinct. A special guest will give a talk at FOTA on conservation efforts to preserve this rare species. See photowildlife.ie for more details. And of course, most importantly, on the opening weekend of the Science Gallery Summer Show Elements, there will be a workshop run on Squishy Circuits on the 16th at half past one. Who's running the workshop? (laughs) Yours truly is running the workshop and it promises to be a short piece of really good fun for anyone over the age of 12. So including adults um, and not so adults, well... Yeah, teenagers rattles too. too. Um, it's great fun. It's conductive Play-Doh and an insulating Play-Doh and a bunch of lights and batteries and you can build squishy circuits. You can build sculptures that light up. I may bring buzzers. Ooh, nice. We can make sounds that irritate Trina. We'll see how the day <laughs> goes. But um, you can register for that one um, if you visit sciencegallery.ie forward slash events and look for Squishy Circuits.
0: And do you have to have any sort of technical expertise like previously? None
5: whatsoever. It? I am a trained
0: biologist. <laughs> so you have to have a passion for Play-Doh. And passion
5: for Play-Doh, <laughs> passion for science. And if you yeah. don't have a passion for science, I promise to let you going away with some.
0: Oh, nice. I want to sign up now. Do, definitely. And I'm not, and I'm not actually There's plugging, a four euro charge
5: on it, but um, it should be good fun. There'll also cool. be two more workshops run in August and September if you can't make this one.
0: I just keep thinking, can you eat what you make?
5: <laughs> Strictly speaking, yes. If you're celiac, please
0: don't eat the dough. It will not <laughs> be made with gluten-free flour. Excellent. Sounds cool. That's uh, that's it for the show today. And thanks to all the guests and listeners and Near FM and our producer, Gavin Byrne. And again, you can grab the latest podcast from cybernia.ie. You can follow us on Twitter at Cybernia. Or friend us on Facebook.com slash Cybernia and if you want to send us an email, it's podcast at